Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at beers and Bible underscore. And on Twitter at Beers and Bible. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts, Rick and Patrick, for this week's discussion. Welcome back to episode number 27 of the Beers and Bible podcast. I am one of your hosts, Rick, and I'm your other host, Patrick, and we're happy to be with you today. Yeah. It's actually not a nighttime when we're recording for once. It's like a mid-afternoon. Yeah, we're uh, trying something different. Actually, full disclosure, we've kind of fallen behind. So, <laughs> so we're basically playing catch up right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> we got to play a little bit of catch up on our recording. It's not because we don't care. It's just that we've had some scheduling issues. Life gets in the way. Yes, it does. So life gets in the way. But we don't want to miss an episode. So here we are putting in extra duty yeah. in the middle of the day. You know. How's your day? How's your week been, man? It's been good. We've been uh, we've been busy. Been dealing with some things. My wife That's had cool. a had some had some sick, uh, illness, sickness. One Dude, night, everyone has been sick. Well, I've been sick. Well, I've gotten over like a cold or whatever that I had, like migraine headaches one day last week, and oh, those dude, migraines are awful. Yeah, so but we're terrible. We're getting through it and. Uh, Spring is almost here, man. Spring is yeah. almost here. Although, if you believe any of the weather reports for next week, <laughs> there's supposed to be a blizzard uh, all up and down the East Coast next week. So, yeah, that's basically. So, we, we are we've we've told we're from the 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 United States. We'll give a little bit more information. We are from the South, and I love the South because it will literally go from like. Flooding to snowing to beautiful in a span of like three days. Yep. It, it doesn't matter where you are in the South. That can happen. You could be in the South. In fact, I have friends who live in South Florida, like Miami and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were they were posting pictures of like the winter apocalypse. And I think it got down to like 39 mm-hmm. in Miami. So they're like, you know, everybody's staying inside. They're shutting off their water mains because they think everything's going to freeze. <laughs> They've obviously never dealt with actual winter. No, <laughs> no that's the closest Miami's ever going to get to a winter day <laughs> is, you know, 39 degrees and the sun is shining. Yeah. Which, which it really, I mean, at that point, it really feels like 50 degrees anyway. Yeah. The thing I love so, about the, the weather in the South is um, early in the day can be winter feeling. But then yes. the afternoon feels like a spring day. So you've got to prepare how you're going to dress for for basically two seasons in one day. Yeah. Have you ever seen those pants that like zip off at the knees? I used to own a pair. I used like, to own a when pair. I was, when I was a child, I owned a pair. <laughs> Not like recently. I'm, I'm convinced that those were invented by a southern man who had to deal with like winter temperatures in the morning and then springtime temperatures in the afternoon. He would just unzip his pants. He's a smart man. I mean, <laughs> really, if you think about it, it's like, oh, these pants will immediately become shorts. Ha. Take that, winter. Yep. 
So, so. Anywho, we're here and we have. This is a new. I think this is a new company for us. Yeah, we haven't done this. We haven't done anything for this this brewery. Wild Haven. Wild Heaven. I said it wrong. Wild Heaven Beer from Atlanta, Georgia, specifically Avondale Estates. Uh, funny story. I've been to Avondale Estates before. I have no idea where that is. So, so well, there you go. I mean, it's uh, in I Georgia. Know. I know that much, but other yes, than that, it's it's on. It's like an out, outside part of Atlanta. Oh, it's okay. right near Atlanta. So, anyway, it's called the Standard Deluxe. And uh, just so, in case you were wondering, the the can has specifically labeled this extra fine beer. So, I don't. I mean, can beer be fine though? Like, I think fine, like classy. And I don't, I don't. Beer is typically not classy. That's I don't true. think you can really define any kind of beer as <laughs> any level of fine, much less extra fine. Well, this one is. It is extra fine beer. They've labeled as, it as, as, stable, as stated on the can. So, uh, but it's easy going, easy drinking. the The can is just. I mean, it's really plain. It's yeah. kind of fun. Mm-hmm. If you ask me, it's just called Standard Deluxe, and it's like a black and white and red can, and that's it. Yeah, the, the simpler cans are are a little are a little more uh, fun fun for me. I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I like the cans that have real intricate designs or mm-hmm. or whatever. But let your beer speak for itself. Sometimes that's right. That's right. So oh, I will say the no crusts. Yes, like uh, that can't just that bottle was thing. awesome. I was just thinking <laughs> the, the same thing. Awesome. With the the sandwich getting like a trim, yeah, and then all the details in the background, it was fun. We're still talking about that one, and it has been a couple of months since we did. Yes, that. it has. I, you know, I have not been able to find no crust it, since we did that episode. I'm really hoping that wasn't the end of it. Me too. I'm going to keep looking, and I'm going to start talking to people and being like, "Hey, I'm going to need you to go find this beer and yes. order it for your store. Yes, I will buy your whole stock. That's fine." <laughs> but anyway, so back to what we have tonight. Yes, or Standard today. Deluxe. It's a German-style lager, ABV That's of uh, 5%. And I'm reading from the website, so yeah, I don't yeah. know if it says any of that on the can. It says lager-style. 5%. Beer. Okay, good. Uh, easy-going, easy-drinking German-style lager designed to be your go-to for all seasons. A beer that tastes like beer in all the right ways. I have high hopes for this. I really do. Because I like lagers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, over the course of this, this podcast, I have determined that I do not like IPAs as kind of like a general rule mm-hmm. because they're a little too bitter for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have confirmed cause I've always liked lagers anyway, mm-hmm. but I've confirmed even more that I pretty much like all lagers. That's fair. So, I, all I've really confirmed is that I just like beer. <laughs> I do like beer too. So yeah, it doesn't really matter. I'll, I will literally try any beer one time. <laughs> And then I probably won't drink it again. I, I tried a Stella Artois. Dude, those are pretty good. It's okay. It wasn't my favorite. <laughs> I mean, I'm never going to pay for it because it's like $100 a six-pack or something stupid. Yeah, because they think they're fa- If there's ever extra fine beer, Stella Artois is that. <laughs> they think they're extra fine. <laughs> but anyway. So let's well, crack these things open, I guess. See what happens. Here we go. One, two, three. Mm. Smell of fresh beer in the afternoon. That's a that's a good smelling beer. That's a beer smelling beer. Yes, it is. Now, is it sacrilegious to pour anything that's not the beer on your glass into that glass? 
like if I had an angry orchard cup, for example. Um, I do that. I don't mind mixing beers because it's like advertising, man. Well, I'm in my own house, so there's not really anyone to advertise to. Uh, I, like I have a Yingling Pilsner glass, and and I can consistently pour not Yingling in it. So, I mean, look, but look how cu- cool this cup is. Like, okay, is that it, is a cool. Yeah, yeah that's they're a really like cool the, cup. the trees on the other side. People listening can't see what I'm doing, but <laughs> it's like got glass, a tree engraved in the glass or something. So I have a thing like I like to collect Pilsner glasses. Mm-hmm. If I go to a restaurant, they have fun ones. And I went to this uh, Wings restaurant in Raleigh, North Carolina one time. Mm-hmm. And on the glass, it was, I can't even remember, it, it was some kind of beer thing. But on the back of it, it said, beer is my friend. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want this glass. And so I asked the waitress, I was like, do y'all sell these? And she's like, no. And I was like, what can I do to buy one? <laughs> like, I don't want to steal it. So what do I do to buy one? And she's yeah. like, let me go ask a manager. And he's like, we'll charge you $4 and we'll just put it on your ticket. And I was like, done. Yes. Sell me that glass. I still have that glass to this day. Pretty sure I've drank from that glass, actually. You probably have. Yeah. You probably have. Because it's it's one of my regular, like it stays in my freezer. Yeah. For such time as So over, uh, over the course of the last six months or so, we've built up our beer glass stock, I guess. And I've got, don't have a freezer anymore. I mean, I have... <laughs> There is a, in the freezer door, there's a sh- like a shelf, and the whole shelf is just beer glasses. Nice. And then I also have uh, two whiskey glasses that I keep, in the, that I also keep in the freezer, because I like, yeah, cold whiskey glasses are fun. Yeah. But that's cold all. whiskey glasses and whiskey stones. I have whiskey stones whiskey as well. Stones too. I keep all that in the, in the freezer. Because it chills the whiskey just right. Yes. And it doesn't dilute it. And it doesn't dilute it, yes. Okay, so back to the <laughs> anyway, standard deluxe to, lager that we have. We are rabbit trail chasing today. <laughs> for, for our listeners, it's been a couple of weeks since we've actually recorded, so we're uh, yes. we're catching up on all of our goofiness, <laughs> I guess. But um, it's a pretty, I, it's a pale-looking beer. If you look through yeah. it, um, it smells just like it smells it's, like a beer. It just smells like it smells like everything I would hope a beer would smell. It smells like. like a beer. Beer is is what it smells like. Um, this is going to be a no fluff, no frill. Mm-hmm. Like, does it taste like beer? And of course, it's called the standard deluxe. So yeah. I would, I mean, I would assume it's going to be a no fluff, no frill. Just give me the good stuff, beer. I can preemptively say, without tasting this, that this beer is going to be at least four Luthers for both of us. Uh, I, I, I'm starting to trend that way. Like, if I, I give it a three and a half, I'll be surprised. Yeah. yeah. I'll be surprised if I give it a three and a half. So, let's turn it up and see how it tastes. With that being said, <laughs> bottoms up. Go for it. Oh, that's good. You were definitely correct. That tastes like something we've had, but I don't. I don't remember. It tastes. Uh, it tastes similar to Classic City Lager. That's what it is. I actually think it tastes a little bit better than Classic City Lager. Mm-hmm. I would agree it's, with that. It, it's it's because I like I specifically went and bought the Classic City Lager several times mm-hmm. because I liked it so much, and it is. I think it's smoother. Than oh yeah, Classic City Lager. It's, is. it's got a much. Uh, it's much easier to, to 
to get down. Yes. It, it's, I'm already like 40% done. I was about to say, I took a couple <laughs> big gulps. Um, side note, I also haven't drank a lot of beer recently. I've been, lean, I've been leaning more toward the whiskey. <laughs> uh, Fireball, particularly. Um, I had some Jim Beam last night. That stuff was that stuff was great. Jim Beam is pretty good. Yeah, for Valentine's Day, my wife gave me like these little like sample samplers of like six different whiskeys. Nice. And I finally opened one last night. So anyway, um, this is yeah, this, this is, is good. Yeah, I would. Uh, not gonna lie. So if I had to give this a rating right now, which I'm going to do, I actually am going to give it a rating right now. Um, if you have, to, easily, you have to, you have, if I have to, to because I, because I am, uh, I'm easily going to give this four and a half Luthers. Yeah. Like this is a, I, I did not expect some crazy off the wall, like beer here. And, and I got exactly what I was expecting. And, and I kind of rate things based off of my expectations mm-hmm. and my expectations was just a good lager. It's a, it's a great lager. Um, as far as, you know, lagers are concerned, if you, whether you like dark lagers or, or mm-hmm. lighter lagers, this is, I mean, it just has that, that feel, that taste, the, the, uh, I, what's, I don't even know what the word I'm trying to, to say is just, it fe- I mean, it feels like a lager. It's smooth like a lager. Mm-hmm. It goes down. So this is four and a half out of five losers for me yeah. all day long. And I will probably go back and buy more of this. Yeah. I would think, um, this is probably the best lager we've had. I, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and the only reason I'm, I'm also going to give it four and a half out of five losers. The only reason I'm not giving it five is because of the standard of five that we have, which yeah. is like something that is unique. Which it, this is not a unique beer; it's a lager. It's, it's a, a yeah. It's, it's a they beer. don't claim that they don't claim for it to be a unique. Yeah, beer. it's a beer tasting beer. Like it, it is. Yes, probably maybe the best beer tasting beer we've had on yeah. our podcast um but it's not a no crust it's not a um the stuff from that we've Gaelic had Gale. it's not eh, Gaelic Ales was kind of a, a beer tasting beer as well but I you gave it five but I, I enjoyed it so much that I gave it five <laughs> um this I mean I, I I'm gonna give this four and a half as well I, I I will almost definitely go back and get this one Yep, yep. This thing is good. It's, uh, I mean, this is a this is a mealtime beer. Mm-hmm. This is a smoking a pipe beer. This is this a, is a sitting on your back porch beer. Outback uh, grilling, just grilling. Uh, this is you just this could, cut the grass. This could be a tailgating beer. Like, yes, it could. Like, I mean, it, it, it would be. It's a very very good. I'm almost inclined to give it five. <laughs> no, I'm I almost, it. I almost did. And and by the time I get to the bottom of the cup, I might. This it's entirely possible that I might because it is it's really good. I don't think I can think of a negative thing to say about it because it it has met every expectation that I was expecting, and it tastes better than I was expecting. Screw it, I'm giving it five. <laughs> I'm here coming in with the, the score change. So after further review, um, <laughs> standard deluxe lager from. Wild Heaven, uh, Wild Heaven, in Atlanta, in Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia, is going to get five Luthers from one Patrick. One Patrick gives it five. Rick is still at four and a half, but that may change. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it happens. So, 
there you go. There wow. is the standard deluxe. Didn't see we that coming. Enjoy. No, you didn't see that coming at all. Plot twist. I, I think Patrick. I know. I think I know why I gave it five. Why? So, as as, as we've discussed, I like beer. I just <laughs> I just like a good beer. This is a Pretty very cool. very good beer. This is maybe the best tasting, the best beer tasting beer. Yeah, that's that, fair. that I've ever had. Yeah, it's not. And it, the thing is, it's not claiming to be some you know caramel mocha style. No, it's just it's not thing. It's just it's just hey, beer. This is beer. Yeah, this is the standard deluxe beer. This is your good old beer. Hey, this, is Dar- hey. this is Dharma beer. Listen, this is extra fine. <laughs> Boom! They nailed it right on the can. Extra fine beer. <laughs> Has anyone may want to find that Dharma beer? Because we'll totally drink it if you have. Yes. Part of me wants to look it up. But but if someone peels the or, or relabels Bud Light and sends it to us as the Dharma beer, we'll kill you. I wouldn't know because I don't think I've ever <laughs> think I've had one Bud Light in my life. Oh, you're it's one too many. It's one too many. So anyway, so now we're gonna move on to con- la, 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 la. my words are getting jumbled up. Packers concise theology. We're gonna talk about the person work of Jesus again, and we're gonna continue talking about his session. Which is weird because that's not anywhere in the Bible, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. And his mediation. So, stick with us and we will be right back. After this message brought to you by this really good beer. And we're back. We are continuing our deep dive into J.I. Packer's Concise Theology. We have moved the last few weeks into the person and work of Jesus Christ, and today we are going to discuss the session of Jesus and what that means, and then also we're going to talk about uh, Jesus and his mediation uh, between God and man. Yes, good stuff. So, let's let's go right into session. So, you, you kind of... Have you ever heard of the session of Jesus Christ before? I mean, before I read this, no. <laughs> um, and you, you kind of hinted at it. It's not really, it's not found in Scripture. It's not. But um, it is found in Scripture. But but the word session, yeah, is not it's found like, in Scripture. It's like the word Trinity. Yes, um, it's this, it's an idea that is implied throughout Scripture. Is that a way to put um, it? Or does I it? Not, most, I mean. So you have like it's referred to differently. Like okay. they just they don't they don't call it session in scripture. It's it's the the session of Jesus is his heavenly reign. Okay, yeah. So if you're a good amillennialist, then you would say that his session is overseeing all. Of, he's he's ruling and reigning right now until his second coming. Right. And and so everything that he does is ordained by him. Because he's God, um, it's overseen by him. Because he's God, so like that's it. So it, like when you uh, and I, I want to say like session is a is a governmental term. So like when you refer to oh, yeah, he's like the, in session. Like, yeah, Congress is in session or or whatever. So it's it's like this civil type of term, um, but it refers to what you do during the time that you're that you're in whatever office it is or, or whatever place that you're in. So when you have a session, you know, it, it, teachers would say class is in session. So when you're in, like, 
that's what that's what we talk about when we're talking about the session of Jesus. And Packer points to Hebrews one three and says, after he provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. Mm-hmm. That's where I would point to. Um, but there there are also a lot of other verses in in Scripture that would point to Jesus basically at this place of authority, mm-hmm. and from his place of authority at the right hand of the Father, that's where he administrates what's happening in the world. Right. It's so not that's a, what it's not like a it's not an act or it's not a lack of activity. Um yes. And he's not he's not just sitting there on the throne not doing anything. Yeah. Um but it is a role of authority. Um it's, it's a present authority that says he sits at his father's right hand. Not re- not so much resting but ruling. Yes. In, in his yeah. author- in his authority. Yes. And so we would like Physically, he's he's ruling over the earth because Proverbs sixteen, you know, tells us that, that basically the Lord directs the steps of man, mm-hmm. and so so there's not there's not anything outside of his sovereign control. Um, right. Some people some people would argue differently than that, but but I would say that there's not anything outside of his sovereign control. There's not anything that happens that that God or Jesus is up there going. Man, I ooh, didn't see that coming. What am I going to do now? How am I going to fix this? What that, you know? What that, can I? I mean, that points back to the omniscience of God. Yes, that points back to how He is all knowing at all times and of all things. Yes, and how nothing, nothing catches Him off guard because He is in control. Because He is an authority of everything that happens on Earth, big or small. Like every exactly. I was thinking about it the other night. Me and my son were playing on the floor, and like the way we were playing, as simple as this, as dumb as this is going to sound, like like how we were playing, the way things were moving, that was all that's ordained by God. God's yes. in control of that. Like I might be making the ball or car or whatever move on the floor, but the way it's rolling, like God can make it move whatever direction He wanted if He wanted to, and He could do it for. Every single household and every single father son having that interaction can make everything. He is he is that in control at all times. Exactly. Yeah. And so when you when you talk about the session of Jesus, that's exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And and um, and so you have this idea of Jesus in heaven. Ruling and reigning, uh, being the authority, saying that that he sits at the right hand of the Father. He's not at rest. Um, and then you get to to like the Psalm, Psalm one ten. Mm-hmm. Okay, God sits the, sits at the, as the Messiah at the right hand as the King and the Priest. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so he's the King, which means that all enemies are under his feet, and he's the Priest because he serves God as the. And we're going to talk about this in just a minute. He's basically the Priest is a mediator. Mm-hmm. So if you look at if you look at Catholic theology, you have the priest, and and uh, in Catholic theology, you would go to a priest and confess your sins, and your and your priest is the one who basically mediates between the the person or, or what they would say the parishioner and God. But the Bible specifically tells us that, that there is one mediator between man and God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So so if you're Catholic and you're listening to this. I'm sorry that I disagree with you, but I'm not sorry that I disagree with you because I agree with Scripture. Right. Um, you know, I understand the whole I, the whole idea of a priest, and and 
where a priest it kind of parallels to a pastor. But when, when it comes down to the forgiveness of sins, that is not done through a priest. That is done specifically between man and God and mm-hmm. through the person of Christ Jesus yeah. and no other person. Exactly. So you don't have to confess your sins to a priest. You don't have to do that. You can have uh, complete remission of sins by your confessing to Jesus himself, to God through prayer. Mm-hmm. And so, so, and that's where, you know, that's where a lot of, of, uh, Protestant churches get the idea of, you know, the sinner's prayer, which I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the sinner's prayer, but like, that's where they get that idea of, you know, you confess to Jesus your sins mm-hmm. and he is faithful and just and forgives us our sin and forgives us from all unrighteousness is what first John tells us. Um, but that's drawn from the idea that Jesus is our high priest. And we're going to talk about that in a second when we talk about being a mediator. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the next thing that Packer kind of brings down is that Christ rules over all of the spheres with an authority um, that exists. And, and his authority is not just over the physical world, but it's over what we would call the spiritual or the angelic world as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He's, he's working at all times behind the scenes. Behind the scenes kind of sounds like he's not like in, in he's not the main focus but he, he's working at all times and when in the warfare of angels and demons he's also in in control and in authority of that yeah um he rules and, over and, all and nothing happens outside of him knowing yeah or so him allowing what, it to happen here's what it makes me think of uh, and this is this is a like a an attempt a worldly attempt to explain what the sovereignty of God actually is. So, if you've ever been watching the movie and then you you get to this like you get to the point where you realize this one person has been manipulating all of the events, it's almost like a like a Wizard of Oz type of thing. Yeah, um, the man behind the curtain. Yeah, man behind the curtain. So there's like there's this one person and you, and you never see anything about him until like the very end until the good guy. And of course, the, per- the man behind the curtain is always the bad guy. You know, that's that's the way the the movies always portray him. But, um, but that you get it, until the good guy gets to the point where he's like, he's got the silver bullet that's going to take down the man behind the curtain. Um, that that's almost the best analogy that I can think about for the sovereignty of God. But God is not the man behind the curtain. And and if you've ever read um, C.S. Lewis's A Horse and His Boy. That is probably the best picture of the sovereignty of God that I could I could come up with or that I could think of because what you end up with so in a horse and his boy you have this this lion and and they always just kind of call him the lion um, which if you've ever read the Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe you know it's Aslan and um, so in this in this movie uh, or in this book you have the lion and the lion is doing things and sometimes the lion even injures somebody like he he. At one point, he takes his claws and he scrapes the back of one of the one of the characters, and and you almost begin to like hate the lion until you get to the end of the book where you meet the lion and the lion is Aslan, and he go and he says, you know, I was the one who was running beside you, I was the one who did this, and I was the one who did that, and I did all of these things to make you see that this is where you needed to go, mm-hmm. and so you have this this lion figure who. If you take one isolated incident, you think is a is a bad per is a bad individual. But then when you look at it from a from a long term perspective, mm-hmm. you go, "Oh, I see exactly what he was doing." And that's a lot of what the what the session of of Jesus is talking about is. 
And I can think of times in my life where in a moment I'm thinking, this is awful. This is terrible. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't see anything good coming out of this situation. And then a year removed from the situation, I go, man, look at what God did in that situation. Look yeah. at the way that he worked. And it was, the, he could have only worked it out the way that he did. Yeah. And I understand what my suffering was for. Yeah. And, and that comes back to his ways not being our ways, his plans not being our plans, his thoughts yeah. not being our thoughts. Um, and when we go through things in life that are, we don't understand them, we don't, we don't see it coming. We're not sure what, what good's going going to come out of it. It's mm -hmm. the, the willingness to push through and to be willing to grow and accept thing, you know, accept what happens to you, not, not, mm -hmm. you know, not let people walk all over you or, or whatever, but there, everything that happens to us is an opportunity for us to grow. Yes, as as people, as believers, as fathers and mothers and husbands and wives, and um, everything we experience is an opportunity for us to grow. And whether it's a good or bad thing, you know, God wastes. God doesn't waste anything. No. So no. Um, everything, everything we we go through is is ultimately for our good, and also, and more importantly, for the glory of God. Yeah. And if we if we said that God was this reactionary God to where he has to react to what we do, then we've taken away his omniscience, we've taken away his omnipresence, mm -hmm. and we've taken away his omnipotence. Mm -hmm. We've taken away these things because it says that God is not big enough to to sovereignly oversee and rule the events of our lives. Yeah. Um and so I mean when we talk about the session of Jesus, we're really talking about uh, something that is founded in his sovereignty. It's, it is his rule and his reign. And he does that on earth. So he does, it's supposed to happen on earth through the church. Mm -hmm. Now, we can talk about all of the terrible things that the church is doing today. And, and, and we could go on for hours. But I don't want to focus on that because I think we need, to, we need to look at what the church is doing right. And the church is supposed to be... Um, the one who is representative of the kingdom of God. And if you if you look at churches today, there are still churches uh, that that you can point to that that are the materialistic. They're they're an inch wide or they're an inch deep and a mile wide, and and all of that kind of stuff. But there are a lot of churches, and the and in fact the churches are growing. Um, that and, and not necessarily in numerical size, but in in popularity, this type of church, a smaller church, a church of, you know, two to 300 people, a church that's not going to make news for having 10 or 15,000 people show up at an event. It's going to be in a church that's in the everyday front lines grind of what it means to be the kingdom of God to the, to the community around you. Um, this is really starting to happen. And, and you, what you see is this kind of uh, disconnect from what we've seen over the last 20 or 25 years in churches where the mega church was the model. It was like, oh, you have mm -hmm. to do it like this to be like this big mega church. Mm -hmm. Now, now, in, in, in somewhat of a paradox, the mega churches are trying to be like the tiny churches. They're trying mm -hmm. to get things, you know, and you talk about doing small groups and, and these, uh, breaking it down into smaller discipleship style groups and, and, 
these mega churches are trying to do their best to break themselves up into little bite-sized bites mm -hmm. that they can spread out around the community. Yeah. And so in reality, they're following the smaller church model. Yeah. They're doing they're doing everything they can to make themselves as small as possible. Yes. While maintaining their massive size. Yes. And and then and you where where you see it where it, it rears its head is always in their corporate worship. You know they have, oh we have seven services on a, on a weekend, or we have three services on a weekend, or you know come to any one of our campuses, come to multiple campuses, come to this, come to that. But but the reality is this mega church is still trying to even with campuses and with multiple services is still trying to break itself down into a smaller arena to make what it does manageable. And so you've seen smaller churches become more and more popular, um, and you end up with more of these two to 300 member churches that are doing more impactful things for the kingdom than a 3,000 or 4,000 person megachurch is doing. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, we're not saying that megachurches are bad, and if you go to a megachurch, then... No, you're not evil if you go to a megachurch. No, you're not, but... But the pros and cons of each cancel each other out. The the yeah. the a mega church has the resources and the ability to do a lot of things if they're willing to do that. The smaller churches have the people that are I would say they're more passionate about those things because yeah. they're smaller. They're a more tight knit community. Um if you've ever been a part of a mega church, you might run into somebody that you know and be and say, how long have you been going here? And they say, we've been going here for two years. I've never seen you. And you, and there's no, you, your paths just never cross. Then you go to a different service or whatever, and you just happen to cross. So, you know, I think there's pros and cons to each. Um, there are. And I, and I'm not trying to say that mega churches are evil. Uh, I'm just, what I'm trying to say is that we need to think long and hard about, what our megachurches are saying to society as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I would and, agree with that. And and what, I mean, the, and a leading example that I would point to is Matt Chandler's church in Texas. So Matt Chandler has a megachurch. I mean, 10,000 something people go to his church every weekend. But over the next four, it's like three or four years, Matt Chandler is trying to break his church up into like six or seven autonomous churches. Mm-hmm that only house maybe up to a thousand people at, at each one. And, uh, and I mean, and you look at like where he is, okay, he's in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Well, that's a massive metropolis with millions of people. So a thousand member church in a massive metropolis is, is about the same as a two to 300 member church in a small, you know, say 10,000 person city. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be comparatively the same. Um, so the size doesn't really determine if you're a megachurch or not. What I would say is your mentality really determines if you're a megachurch mm -hmm. or not. Because you can be uh, a church of four or 5,000 people and still, you know, do expository preaching and teach the word faithfully and, and do all of the things that churches are supposed to do. You can still do that. So it's not the size that, that counts. It's really your mentality mm -hmm. that counts because... The church is supposed to be the one who is bringing the kingdom of God in, and the church is going to be the one who, in the end, Christ 
will will come back and he will rescue the church. But that's going to bring that's going to kind of be the culmination of his of his rule and his reign. So he's going to he's going to eventually fail. He's going to end all of his enemies. Um, and he's already. I mean, he and, and to this point, I mean, he's conquered death. Mm-hmm. Uh, but until we see our glorification, we will have not conquered death. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really, I mean, like that's the that's the ending point of his session is when the church and all of those who are in Christ, um, what the Bible calls the elect of God, all of those have conquered death. That's the end of his session for for this time period for the for the age that we're in, and then we have the age to come, right? So. You enjoying that uh, standard deluxe a little bit more? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Did you just burp? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I was hoping you didn't hear that. I tried to get away from the mic, so uh, I, heard, I heard a little bit. So, but anyway, so so that's the session, and then yeah. we then we move on to mediation. Yeah. So these two go hand in hand. So talk about mediation really just a little do. bit. So uh, mediation just says that Jesus is um, the mediator between God and man. He's the He's he's the kind of in between. I, I guess would be the be, the best non theological word to mm-hmm. describe that. Um, Packer uses First Timothy two five. He says, "For there is one God and one mediator." Mediator. Wow, I can't read. <laughs> Medi mediatory between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Um, mediator. Medi- I think you may have a. I think you may have is a, there a typo. Word. There might be a typo. Okay, well, whatever. Because First Timothy one two five says, "For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus." Well, then that was a typo on Packer's part because <laughs> I I type straight from him. So anyway, oh, <laughs> uh, so so one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Um, so Packer says that the saving ministry of Jesus is summed up. In this statement that he is the mediator, God and men. Um, so it's not in that he he dies for our sins. It's not in that he um, was resurrected three days later. It's not that he lived a perfect, sinless life. All those things are true, and all those things are important. But. Packer says that the the saving ministry of Christ can be summed up by saying that he is the mediator between God and men. Yeah. Well, if he didn't die on the cross, if he wasn't buried, and if he didn't rise again, he couldn't be the mediator. Right. So, I mean, like the mediator is kind of like the final step in the process to where Jesus Jesus is this because of all of these things. Mm Mm-hmm. So he is our mediator because he died, was buried, and rose again. That's yeah. why he is our mediator. Yeah, he's the one who bridged the gap. He's the one who we, we always talk about this the giant chasm. If you've ever done any type of evangelism training, you always you know you're told to talk about the giant chasm between God and man that no man can bridge by any works that he does by himself or by any any works of his own, but it has to be done by Jesus. So that's why Jesus is the mediator because he is the only one. Who can bridge that gap? Right. So, and and because of that, because he is the only one, um, every member of humanity, by our nature, we're hostile. So we we've talked. I think we've talked a little bit about this when we've talked about the depravity of man. Um, in our nature, we are 
turned against God. And it takes the work and the drawing of the spirit to bring us back to God. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's where, that's where the mediation of Christ comes in through the work of the Holy Spirit is, is it's, it's, that's the Holy Spirit does the drawing and brings people back to God. Mm-hmm. And, and the result of that is the gift, the gift of salvation. Yeah. Which without without the work of the Holy Spirit and without Jesus being our mediator couldn't happen, right? Which was happening because of His death, burial, and resurrection. So just it, it all, all, all of that it all goes all hand in hand. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything fits together, right? Like it was meant to be before the foundations of the world. Ephesians one. Sorry. What? Okay. So, <laughs> um, so this, the idea of a mediator, the mediator must have um, a connection of some kind to both sides, both parties. Um, involved in our in our case, can we talk about that? Jesus being one hundred percent God, one hundred percent man, two natures. Yeah, uh, I guess we did. <laughs> but um, so, but it must be must have a connection to both sides in order to identify with and maintain their interest interests of both and represent each to the other. Yes. Um, and Packer points out that you know Moses. Moses is an example from the Old Testament of a mediator between God and then the people of Israel. Um, mm-hmm. Not that the people of Israel ever listened to Moses, but um, <laughs> you know he he speaks to Israel on God's behalf, giving them the law, and then he goes back to God and says, "Well, they didn't like that, God, so uh, you know, write it down. Write it. <laughs> I don't I don't know what to tell you." But don't burn them up. It's basically basically Moses's. Yeah. Uh, well, and I mean, so in in the Old Testament, you have you have these two different types of people that had to fulfill this mediatory role. You had the prophet who was de- who was supposed to declare the words of the Lord to the people, mm-hmm. and then you had the priest who was basically to intercede for the people on to God on behalf of the people to God. Mm-hmm. So in in many stories in the Old Testament, you hear about these the prophet saying thus says the lord do all these things do all these things do all these things and then the the priest is like okay god we're really sorry that we didn't do all those things um if you just have a little bit of mercy if you just have a little bit of grace mm-hmm. we'd be super grateful thanks and, and yeah. so you have and all of that comes together in the person of jesus christ he is he is our prophet he is our priest and because he is the prophet and the priest, he is also our king. So he's the ruler mm-hmm. of of all of those, and that's what that's how he fulfills that mediatory role. Gotcha. Um, there is is through all three of the offices that are in the, that you see in the Old Testament combined into the one person. Right. Um. So there you go. So you you, you have God. He sent Jesus into the world to be our reconciliate reconciliation. Um. And and it was because. You know, it was it was the purpose of the and the will of God to do that, to to crush him, to be our mediator, so that he could become our mediator, so that the bridge between God and man could be filled. Mm-hmm. Um, and John Calvin, uh, Packer brought out this quote from John Calvin. Read that quote from John Calvin that Packer brought out. In an inconceivable way, he loved us even when we when he hated us. So that's really, really deep, and it sounds like a paradox. Um, but but if you look at uh, so take take the story of of uh, Esau, where it said Jacob and Esau. So it says Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. So it's two different brothers, and one of them he loved, and one of them he hated. But they were realistically both 
sinners before God. Mm-hmm. But it was the it was the sacrifice of Jacob that he loved, and and it was Jacob's contrite heart that he loved, and so he does love us as his creation, but he also hates us because of our sin. Mm-hmm. And it's not until we are broken and contrite before him mm-hmm. that he that he can that we can fully understand his love for us. Yeah. And so it makes verses like First John four four, I think it's four four. I'm now now I'm doubting myself. We love because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. So it's because of love of God while we were still sinners. Romans five eight. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It takes the love of somebody to die for someone. I mean, you're not just going to die for a random Joe Schmo, mm-hmm. but you would absolutely die for one of your kids. Right. Okay. Um, and so, but because he loved, we love because he lo- first loved us. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's his love that, that is first shown through the person and work and the mediation of Christ that we are able to then respond in love to the people who are around us. Mm-hmm. Because people who understand the amount of grace that they've been given are typically willing to extend that grace to other people. Exactly. You know, so, um, but that's what, that's what that, that, and and we call that the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so that, you know, it's penal in that there was a judicial penalty that had to be paid. Mm -hmm. It's substitutionary because Christ substituted himself for us. And it's atonement because it atoned for the sacrifice that needed to be made to satisfy the penalty for sin. Yeah. So it's the penal he, substitutionary atonement. Yeah, he, he he took our place, shed his blood that he should, I mean, Mark should not have been shedding his blood. Yes. Um, but by that shedding of blood, it made peace for us. And this um, brings about the end of hostility, the end of guilt. Um, exposure to the retributive punishment that if Jesus doesn't shed his blood, we could not have avoided that punishment. Exactly. There, there was nothing in, in our ability that would have been able to avoid the wrath of God that was coming. Exactly. Someone had to take that wrath on. And then because of his work on the cross and because Jesus was obedient to the point of death on a cross, he took our shame, he took our guilt, and he took our wrath so that we would not have to as long as we have accepted that gift. Exactly. Exactly. And so where you really see Christ being the mediator, kind of one of the main books of the Bible that points to Christ as mediator is the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, from the very beginning, it, it's, it starts talking about the supremacy of Christ over Everything over the created order, over the uh, spiritual order, over all of that. And because of that, he is this, he's in session, he's ruling, and he is also our mediator. Yeah. And and so Jesus is this, this messianic king who is sitting on his throne. He's exalted and he's ruling. He's ruling as our great high priest. Um, he is our great high priest because God, because he offered himself as a sacrifice to God. Mm-hmm. And and he was a sacrifice for our sins, and so because of that, he is our messenger, and he is the one through whom we have direct access to God the Father. That's a pretty, pretty quick summary of the mediatory role of Christ. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so yeah, there you go, Crisis Mediator. Anything else fun? I mean, I'm sure we could dive some <laughs> dive into something else, but <laughs> I, th- I think my brain is melted enough just thinking about those two those two aspects. You know, it's and and the reason we have been going so slow is because a lot of this stuff is not just your typical, you know. Sunday morning topical preaching type of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. people, are, most preachers are not going to uh, try to tackle the mediatory role of Jesus Christ. Right. Their sermons. You know, I, I wish they did. I wish they would. But, you know, the reality is they're just not. Um, and so that's, you know, that's part of the reason we want to we want to do this is to to help you think uh, deeper about Scripture, to think deeper about what Scripture teaches us about being Christians and having a, a worldview that is that is considered Christian uh, or biblical. And and so yeah, that's why we're that's why we're doing this, and that's why we talk about things like session and mediation. Yeah. So there you go. There you have it. There is uh, the discussion. There is uh, some stuff on the standard deluxe. I'm still I'm still going to stay at four and a half. I know you gave it five, but uh, that's, that's, I'm still going to stay at four and a half. That's fair. Um, Honestly, I don't know why I'm not going to give it five. I can't give a reason for not giving it five because it's really good. It's probably one of my favorites. And yeah, but good job there, uh, Wild Heaven Beer. Yeah, they they did in Atlanta, Georgia. That was surprisingly good. I'm not going to lie. I I really was. I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was. So, but um, if listeners want to find us. Where would they do that if they were looking on, like, social media? So if you go to social media, type in socialmedia.com. And, no, don't do that. Don't do that. that <laughs> don't do that. But you can hit us up on Instagram at beers and Bible underscore. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter at beers and Bible P1. Mm-hmm. And you can hit us up on Facebook at beers and Bible podcast. Just search beers and Bible podcast and look for our logo. Um and then you can email us at beersandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. Would be all of the places to find us on social media. Yep. Uh, I don't think we're anywhere else, here. actually. We're not. Not we're right now. Not currently anywhere else. So Not for the time being. Is there anywhere else for us to be? Snapchat? TikTok? I'm sure we could get on TikTok, but I, I, like, I refuse to get on TikTok about like I refuse to get on Pinterest. So... That's just kind of how I feel about TikTok. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) All right. Well, until next time. Have a good week. Have a good week. We'll see you later. Peace out. Boy Scout. You enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible. Please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. 